Today we are going to look at a special lesson called The Cure for Anxiety. We're going to pause our study from the book of James. And it's been something that's been marinating in my heart and mind for a while, and I did a couple Toddcasts about it if you've seen those. But I felt it was necessary to pause, especially on a special day where we're having a luncheon and do something a little bit different than James. And so today we're going to look at The Cure for Anxiety, and we're going to look at our main passage from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Hopefully you guys have the notes. Oh, by the way, about the Keystone Ministry, before we get into it, the Keystone Ministry is flourishing, and I want you to know that is the ministry of, your, of our church. That is, that is our ministry, okay? So I want you to think about it that way and not just think this is something Pastor Todd and Janine do. This is our ministry. This is our outreach. Please pray like it is our outreach. And we are seeing people get baptized and come to the Lord and hear the gospel. So pretty powerful stuff. But today, the cure for anxiety. Before we get into that, since Halloween was yesterday... Does anyone like a good ghost story? Yeah? Anyone like a good ghost story? It's good the children aren't here because this one's terrifying. I'm just teasing. Uh, no, I, I have a ghost story for you, okay? This ghost story, we don't need to dim the lights or anything like that, but this ghost story can be a little bit, little bit frightening, and uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be called The Feeling. The Feeling, all right? In late 2013... A young 33-year-old man and his wife were about to have a set of identical twins. Sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> the recent news had this couple feeling a little anxious. They had one child already, which was a rocky learning experience for them, so it made, the, it made sense that they were a little nervous and anxious about having a set of twins. One night before sunset, this young man decided to take out a bag of garbage to the shared dumpster at the apartment complex. Even though it was cold outside, the young man decided to not wear his coat. He was only going to be outside for a couple of minutes, and he told himself there was no need for such things. So he made his way to the dumpster, making sure he avoided being hit by any cars that would circle the complex. As he arrived at the dumpster, he opened the lid and threw the bag of garbage inside. He then quickly closed the lid and headed back toward his apartment, making sure once again to not get hit by any passing cars. He opened the door to their apartment and walked up the large flight of stairs that led to the living room area. As he rejoined his wife, who was in the kitchen, he noticed a feeling that he had felt while he was outside taking the garbage out, but he had dismissed it as cold air getting into his lungs. This feeling was in his chest, and it was an uncomfortable feeling, one he had never felt before that day. He sort of grabbed his chest where the feeling was, and his wife asked, Are you okay? The young man said, I, I think so. I just have this feeling in my chest. But after a little while, the pain subsided and they went about their day. That specific day was not yet over. It was late afternoon, but the young man still had a Bible study at the nearby university to lead that evening. His wife often joined him, but she would stay back this time because her one-year-old son was feeling a little bit under the weather. As this man began gathering his items to leave for the university, the feeling in his chest returned, but not as sharp as before. He shrugged it off and tried to remain focused on the task at hand. Later that evening, after the Bible study was over, the young man headed home. It was late fall, early winter, and it was already pitch dark by the time he got home. The feeling in his chest had come and gone several times while he was away, and now he was feeling quite curious. His wife was already in bed asleep by the time he got home, so he decided not to wake her and just watch the ball game on the TV in their living room for a little while before bed. As he got his coat and shoes off, the feeling in his chest returned. Okay, now it was making him a little nervous. It was time to try and find some answers. The young man didn't want to freak anyone out needlessly by making a doctor's appointment for something small like this. It was 2013, and there was a much easier way 
to get, an, to get answers for small medical issues? The internet. <laughs> he pulled up the Google, the Google search on his phone and simply typed in pain in chest, hoping that the first thing he would see would be something like a common symptom for cold air in the lungs, typically passes within a few hours, nothing to be worried about. But as the results came up on his phone, he saw a much different tale. The first listed item on Google took his breath away. It simply read, heart attack symptoms for men. The man's few hair follicles stood, on, stood up straight on his head. <laughs> Did it say heart attack? He knew he shouldn't click on the link, but he was too curious. And now he was concerned that something ominous was happening to him. So he did. He clicked on the link. And this is where this man's journey spiraled into pure darkness. As he spent the next several minutes reading all kinds of horrible heart issues that he most likely had, the man's heart began to race. He arrived at this Google search with only one intermittent symptom. But now as he read some of the other symptoms for issues like heart attack, angina, heart arrhythmia, he suddenly began feeling some of these very symptoms he was reading about. Until then, he hadn't noticed any numbness in his arm. But now he was feeling it. The tingling in his fingers was also new, but surely it couldn't be a coincidence of a, of a symptom of in-the-moment panic. It must be a symptom of a bad heart. Now the man was sweating, his heart was racing, his hands were clammy, his arm had a numb feeling, and he began to pace back and forth in his living room. The website said if you feel any of these symptoms, get yourself to the emergency room right away. What was happening? The internet was telling him he had moments to act before he dropped dead of a massive heart attack. The man took a deep breath and said, let's think logically inwardly. Could a young 33-year-old man in pretty good health be having a heart attack at the very moment he was reading about symptoms for a heart attack? Yes, it was a large coincidence that these new symptoms had only arrived as he first learned about them for the first time on Google. But now he couldn't shake them off. As he went back and forth on various links on the internet, he was becoming convinced that he had a bad heart and needed to act immediately. Otherwise, he might die and abandon his young wife or the young boy and upcoming identical twin boys. He didn't want to panic his wife and have her wake up in the night and take him to the ER, so he called one of his good friends and said, I think I need to go to the emergency room. By this time, the feeling in his chest was the worst it's ever been, and the numbness in his arm would not go away. How long did he have upon the earth before he dropped dead? He didn't have a will made out or life insurance or for his family or anything. How could this be happening to him? As his friend and he made their way into the emergency room, the, the symptoms began dissipating. He told the lady at the front desk his symptoms, and she looked very unconcerned, almost indifferent. He thought, come on, lady, I'm dying here. A little care and compassion would be nice before I leave this earth. He sat in the waiting room and tried to distract himself with conversation with his friend, and he tried to pretend he wasn't worried. Finally, they called him back, and the young health assistants hooked him up to an EKG and a blood pressure monitor. And again, these young guys were so unconcerned that they started cracking jokes with the man, saying things like, well, it doesn't look like you're going to drop dead tonight, haha. Sure, guys, the man thought inwardly, thanks for the lightheartedness while I'm moments from the grave. But maybe he was feeling a little better. He hadn't felt any of the chest pain or numbness in a while. Maybe they were right. Maybe he was going to be okay. Surely the doctor would come in now and calm all his fears by saying, relax, sir. You just took some cold air in your lungs and you're going to be fine. For the first time in many minutes, his breathing was almost at a normal pace. He was feeling pretty relaxed. As the doctor came in, he looked at the man and said, well, 
I don't see any issues with your heart. My guess is that you injured your chest wall recently. Have you been doing anything differently as of late? The young man nodded and replied that he had recently been working out after not doing so for many months. The doctor asked him, well, did you push it? The young man nodded. He was trying to do the same exercise as he did in his early 20s because he wanted to get back in shape quickly. The doctor said, well, that's probably what happened. You probably inflamed the cartilage in your chest and it could take several weeks to go away. He gave the young man some advice on what to do and what not to do for the next few weeks and then he dismissed him from the hospital. As he drove home, the young man felt silly. Did he really rush to the ER after reading symptoms from an internet search? Did he really make his wife worried when he called her from the hospital telling her he might have a bad heart? Did this young Christian minister really exhibit this kind of fear and worry? Oh well, it was over. Lesson learned, don't Google symptoms ever again. Seriously, don't. He went home and he laid in bed and sort of chuckled to himself and thought how silly he was. He was feeling fine now. There was no more chest pain, no more numbness, no more tingling, and no more racing heart. He was going to be okay. But wait. As he recalled the doctor's words spoken to him only moments ago, he realized the doctor had said words like, maybe, probably, my guess is, I don't see any issues with your heart. But what if he was wrong? What if he just couldn't see the issues? Suddenly the feeling came back in the man's chest. The numbness also returned. His heart started to race once again. He thought, how could my heart race like this in bed if I didn't have a bad heart? All night long he tossed and turned, wondering when he would drop dead and how his family would be able to make it without him after he died. Maybe he should go to another doctor in the morning. Maybe they'd find something different. Maybe Google was right. Maybe he had hours or even moments to live. What if? What if? What if? If you listen closely even today, perhaps you can hear this young man's rapid racing heartbeat as he feverishly checks all the internet websites for answers. Ba-bum, 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 ba-bum. The end. Okay, fiction or nonfiction, what do you think? Did this story actually happen? Some of you know. Yes, yes, it did. Unfortunately, that's a story about me. I embellished some areas, but... That's a story about me, that's a story that took place, and it's going to set up our lesson today, and that's, that's the point. The Cure for Anxiety is the title today. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Matthew 6 if you're not there yet. It's also going to be on the screen, and I want you to listen to what the Lord Jesus tells us about being anxious. In verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, or the unbelievers, seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Anyone feeling anxious this year? Has anyone felt a little bit of anxiety in the year 2020? It's probably a silly question, right? Probably more than ever. Aren't you thankful that Jesus knows our frames, knows our tendencies? Aren't you thankful he knows that we're prone to being anxious people? Aren't you thankful that we're not alone in this world? See, the Lord knows we're in the midst of 2020. He saw this year coming unlike anyone else. Jesus did. He knew that the coronavirus pandemic was going to be all around us. That election day would be two days from now. He knows we're facing perhaps the most anxious days we've ever faced in our lives. And he also knows that he has the cure that we need. In this pretty classic passage, Jesus is speaking from the famous Sermon on the Mount. And he's speaking directly to his newfound followers. And he has a message for them that he knows will help them profoundly if they simply pay attention and listen to what he has to say to them. He begins by saying to us today, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. Sure, Jesus, no problem. You got it. That's easier said than done, is it not? Our lives are what matters most to us. How can you tell us to not be anxious about the thing that matters the most to us? In fact, if you'll humor me, on your sheet I put a little bit of space. I want you to consider for a moment what we concern ourselves with on any given day. Okay, what, do you, what are you prone to worry about and be anxious about on any given day? Just take a moment and write a couple things down, and I'll work through a few here on my own. How about this? What will I wear today? What will I wear? Are my clothes good enough? Do I need more clothes? Do these clothes even fit me? Will anyone like them or think they're ugly? Do they make my backside look big? Are they warm enough for the crazy Ice Age Antarctic winter we're probably going to have this year? What will I wear today? How about this one? What should I eat? Do I have enough food? Is this food healthy enough? Will I run out by the end of the week? Is there a snowstorm or a pandemic coming that I should go out and stockpile more food? Should I make myself a bunker in the backyard full of food just in case? What should I eat? Here's another one. What's the weather like today? Will it rain? Will it storm? Is it going to be windy? What will it do to my hair? If you're like me, you don't worry about that much. But uh, do I need a change of clothes just in case a monsoon hits me? Is the sun going to make me too warm? What's the weather going to be like today? What's my job going to be like today? Will my boss be mad at me? Will my kids be crazy today if you're a stay-at-home mom? Is traffic going to make me late? Is my job even secure? Do I like this job enough? Does my boss secretly hate me? Will they find a robot one day that can do my job better than me? If you're a stay-at-home mom, you probably wish a robot would come in and do your job. Right? My wife does. Teasing. But now in 2020, we have a whole new set of problems, right? Those are, those are generic problems that everyone kind of thinks about. Now in 2020, we have problems like this. Well, the news said the coronavirus numbers are going up and up. Should I go into public? What if I catch it? What if my parents or kids catch it? Will it kill somebody I love? What if I lose my job? Will I have enough money to make it through the year? Is everything going to shut down again? 
Will I have enough toilet paper for the winter? Is there a dark winter ahead of us, and will they get a vaccine in time? One more. Is my candidate going to win the election? What if they don't? Is America going to get worse than it already is? Could there be another civil war? Is the government going to keep churches from meeting? Is it possible that normal life will never return again? So many things to worry about, right? So many things to make us anxious. And they all pertain to one thing, our lives upon the earth. And the first thing Jesus says to us is, do not be anxious about your lives. Wow. We have a lot to bite off here, don't we? (laughs) But you get the point. We are so concerned with our lives that when Jesus says to us, do not be anxious about your life, it almost doesn't register. That's actually what he said. It seems to not be anxious or worried about our lives means we're kind of indifferent to them, right? Like not being anxious means we don't care about our lives. That's kind of how it feels sometimes. In fact, when we think about somebody not concerned about their lives, we think of those California surfer personalities, those daredevils, who simply want to seek thrills at the cost of their own lives. Because not being anxious about our lives, it seems almost mythical to even consider. Is it even possible, Jesus? How can we not be anxious when so many things are out to get us? So many things. In fact, do you know what stress does to the body? You ever look that up? Do you know stress can actually make someone sick? make someone feel bad, make, take away their physical health, their mental health, just by being worried? So Jesus needs to explain to us today what he means. He needs to help us understand why and how should we not be anxious about our lives? Well, as he often does, Jesus needs to give us a fresh perspective, right? To let us see clearly, to let us believe his truth properly, So that's exactly what he's going to do today. He's going to help us get a fresh perspective by using a couple object lessons. The first thing he says to us is, consider the birds. Look at the birds. Think about the birds. How many birds are there in this planet? I don't know. Billions, trillions of birds. All kinds of birds all over the planet. He says, consider the birds. How they sow. They don't reap or store away into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says, are you not more value than the birds? I take care of every bird every day, and you're much more valuable than the bird. Then he says this. He says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the flowers of the field, that every season, springtime comes back in, the flowers will come back on the grass. And even right now, in the season of fall, right, the mountains are covered with colors and beauty. In every single season, God doesn't forget about the fields and the flowers and the trees. Every single season. And he says, consider the birds, consider the lilies. Jesus basically tells us that there are parts of creation that serve very little purpose when compared to mankind. Birds and lilies, when compared to mankind, are insignificant. They're beautiful to behold, but they're not profound for accomplishing the will of God. Mankind, however... They are. In fact, we all know that if it came to saving a bird's life or saving the life of some flowers versus saving a human life, what should we do? We should all spare the life of the person and let the bird or the flowers die, if it ever came to that, correct? And I would say most people would agree with that. Let the human live 
and the bird and the flowers, even though it's sad, they have to die if it's between the two. Why? Because humans are much more valuable. A human life is. And where do we get that fundamental belief? Where do we get that? Because most people, even unbelievers, would say people, humans, are more valuable than any other part of creation. But where do we get that belief? We get it from the very fact that we were made in the image of God. We were made in God's image. The birds can't say that. Even the flowers can't say that. We were made in the image of God to think like God, to act like God, to love the things that God loves, to do the will of God. That's why we were created. And God gave us dominion over every other part of creation. He made us sovereign over every other part of creation. He says, you're in charge of this planet. You are mankind. Making mankind the most valuable creation that God has ever created. You could say that mankind is the apple of God's eye. The best part of his creation is right here in this room. You and I. As we'll learn, it doesn't mean birds and flowers aren't important to God. On the contrary, he loves them faithfully every single day. What it does mean is that you and I are so much more important in the eyes of God. If God feeds the trillions of birds every single day and every season he clothes the grass with beautiful looking flowers, then imagine, just imagine what kind of consideration God must have for one single person made in his image. Created and crafted to reflect his nature. Now, the elephant in the room question that we're probably all thinking right now is, if God claims to love me so much, then why is life so hard? If God cares for me this much, then why does it seem like I can't catch a break? Because I hear those things all the time. I even hear them in my mind from time to time. If God loves us this much, he boldly declares we are more valuable than anything else, then why is my life so difficult? I mean, doesn't 2020 prove that God is either indifferent to us or perhaps lost interest in us altogether? Doesn't this passage mean that God promised to make our lives great and because they aren't great, then he doesn't really care for us like he says he does? It's a logical train to follow, but it's a false one. And the Bible's going to help us today think properly. What we need to do now is we need to pause and we need to bring in another cross-reference passage, okay, to help us see clearly what Jesus is trying to tell us. And I want us to now flip over to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 10. This is the passage that TGD read for us. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 10. It's going to be on the screen if you need it. This is the Apostle Paul now speaking to a church. Okay, and listen to what he says. He says, for we know, in verse 1, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be at, away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, if we can mush these two passages together today, okay? If we could smash them together, we're going to learn something quite profound. And I believe we're going to get the key to unlocking the power to overcome all anxiety. I really believe that. We will get the key to becoming much more joyful and much more peaceful people simply by seeing these two things come together. If we can mush these passages together and see clearly what they are trying to tell us, we can defeat anxiety for good. Does anyone want to defeat anxiety? Does anyone want the cure for anxiety? I do. I would love that. I would love to hand that out to other people, right? I have the cure for anxiety. I've accomplished it. I've victored over it. And you can do it as well. That's the goal today, okay? Biting off a big goal, but this is a good one. Paul, speaking now in 2 Corinthians 5, he tells us that our lives and our bodies on this earth are like tents. It's a metaphor. You guys know what a metaphor is, right? It's using language to compare it to something physical, but it's not actually literally physical, okay? Tents, as he tells us our lives are like, are great for certain things, right? They're great for camping. Anyone ever gone camping in an actual tent? Yeah, several of you. Okay, good. I have never. I don't know if I ever will, but not a huge camper. But uh, I'm, I'm guessing tents are pretty good for camping, right? Because that's what they're designed for. They're designed for camping and short-term living. They're useful at very, at very uh, certain times. But if your primary living space is a tent, we'd consider you homeless. If you live in a tent, most people would consider you homeless because Tents are not useful for permanent dwelling. They're not good for permanent dwelling. We need houses. We need secure buildings to live in. And again, this is a metaphor, okay? Paul is not talking about actual tents or actual buildings. He's talking about our bodies and our lives upon the earth. And Paul says that if we follow Jesus, we have an eternal building Again, it's a life. It's a body. We have an eternal building not made by human hands, built and secured by God himself. And this building in heaven is waiting for us to move into someday for the rest of eternity. Now, right now, we live in tents upon the earth. That's what he says. Your bodies are like tents. They're fragile like tents. One day they will be destroyed like a tent will have to be thrown away. And for those who only have tents, the unbelievers, it makes sense why they're so concerned primarily about their tents because that's all they have. It makes sense why they're scared and and petrified of the coronavirus and losing their jobs and watching the country deteriorate because all they have is their tent. And if they lose their tents, they lose everything. And tents are referring to earthly bodies and lives. I'll make that clear. If unbelievers lose their lives upon the earth, it's all they have, and that would be a devastating loss, correct? If a tent is your home and it's all you have, then it makes sense why you should want to make that tent beautiful. It makes sense why you should want to secure that tent as much as possible. But that's also an incredibly sad thought to have. What if someone only had a tent to live in? That's a sad thought to think about. And Paul is saying your lives are like tents. And some people only have tents. Isn't that sad to think about? 
And so it makes sense why they're really worried and really anxious about their tent being destroyed because it's all they have. You see, but Jesus came to this earth to give us all eternal buildings in heaven to live in. He came to the homeless people of this earth and declared that he was offering free, eternal buildings for everyone who needed them. If we say yes to following Jesus, then that eternal building is ours, guaranteed by God himself. We don't have to be homeless any longer. And no, we're not talking about physical buildings or physical tents. We're talking about our bodies and our lives. Our bodies and our lives are like tents, and one day they're going to be destroyed. Because tents are temporary dwelling places. We know that, right? But those who have faith in Jesus have an eternal building to live in when our tent on this earth is eventually destroyed. We go right to our building. It's seamless. From our tent to our building. Praise the Lord. We upgrade from our tent to our building. Now, let's do this. Let's mush these passages together, okay? This is, this is our effort today. Let's mush what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 with what Jesus says in Matthew 6 and combine them for one strong point to end on today, okay? Here it is. The reason we're all so anxious in this life is for one of two reasons, or both. Here's the reason we are so anxious as people upon the earth. Number one is we don't believe the Lord really cares for us, like he says he does. We don't believe it. We've heard it before. We understand that he said it. We understand what he means, but we don't believe it. And therefore, we feel like we're on our own. And isn't that a terrifying feeling to feel like you're on your own? That whatever happens to you in this life, you've got to handle it yourself. You're on your own. So that's number one reason people are so anxious. They don't believe what the Lord said, that they are more valuable, so much more valuable than the birds and the lilies of the field. Reason number two is we're too concerned about our earthly lives. We're too concerned about our tents. That's it. That's the reason people are so anxious. They don't believe what the Lord says, or they're too concerned about their tent when there is a building offered to them. If we will listen to Jesus and Paul today, guys, we can defeat anxiety for good. We don't have to be anxious anymore. I really believe that. I really believe we're going to unlock the key, or get the key to unlock the power to overcome anxiety. You see, the Lord cares so much about our lives, guys, so much about us, that he came to this earth to die so that we might live forever. Now, is that care? Is that concern? Is that love? They're going to die unless I do something, and I will do something, and what I have to do is I have to die so they can live forever. And Jesus said, yes, I will. I will do that. I will die so they can live forever. Jesus paid the debt of sin that we owed to God so we would never have to fear death again because that's what kills people. Sin. The wages of sin is death. But if I take the sin away, there is no more death. If I pay their debt and I die for them, they don't owe it to God anymore. They're free to live forever. He also came to give us an eternal building in heaven made and secure by God himself so that we never have to be homeless again. Let's consider this. Jesus defeated all the things that we worry about. He came and defeated every single thing that makes us anxious. 
And if that wasn't enough, here Jesus promises us to take care of every earthly need we have as well. There's everything. That's everything people worry about. Your life. Now and in eternity, Jesus took care of every single one of those things. He single-handedly defeated all the things we worry about. We just need to believe. Now, Jesus is not telling us that our earthly lives, tense, don't matter. He's saying that if he died to forgive us of our sins and secure for us an eternal building with God, then our earthly needs are so easy for him. If he went to the absolute length to die for us, to save us from our sins, he's telling us what you worry about in this life is a piece of cake. I can handle that with no effort at all. And he created us. He knows exactly what we need and when we need it. He's not, our hunger and our needs for clothes and things like that did not sneak up on the Lord. He goes, man, I don't have a plan for that. Oh, they're hungry? Oh, the coronavirus is here? Oh, I never thought of a disease. Well, now what do we do? No, that never happens with God. God always knows what we need and when we need it. And he promises us that just like he takes care of the birds and the grassy fields faithfully, he will care for us well beyond them. Well beyond them. You see, but Jesus wants us to never fear. Do you know that? He wants us to never fear. He wants us to never, ever be worried. And so he's going to say one more really profound thing that's going to seal it up. That you never have to worry if you know and believe and you strive for this. He says this in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and you'll have everything you need. He's telling us today that the reason we're so anxious is because we're living for the wrong kingdom. We're serving the wrong kingdom. The reason you're so frustrated and so anxious is because your mindset is set upon the earth and it should be set upon the kingdom of God. That's why you're so anxious. We're trying to secure our tents when they were designed to be temporary. We all know we're going to die, right? We all know we're going to lose every earthly possession, right? Do we know that? So you and I would agree that our bodies are like tents. Everything we have is temporary. Everything upon this earth is temporary. But by putting all the eggs of our lives into the basket of our earthly tents, we're making ourselves crazy. We're going nuts. We're losing our minds because we're putting all the eggs in the basket of our earthly lives. And Jesus and Paul are saying, there it is. That's why. That's why you're so anxious. You're trying to secure your tent. I want you to imagine with me right now, trying to make a tent your permanent home. Go out to one of those outdoorsy places and buy a tent and imagine trying to make that your permanent home for the rest of your life. Would that be frustrating? Would that be scary to take a tent, even a good tent, and try to make that your permanent dwelling place for the rest of your lives? The weather constantly wants to knock it down. The animals want to constantly get into it. The wind is dragging it away. And every single year, your tent gets more frail and more run down. Does that remind you of something? Our lives? 
Do you see why we're anxious all the time? Do you see why we're anxious all the time? We're trying to make our earthly lives secure. Secure us forever. When they were never, ever designed to do that, and they never, ever will, no matter what we try to do. No amount of wrinkle creams, okay? No amount of workout videos, and there's some good ones out there. No amount of vitamins, no amount of essential oils, etc., 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 are going to secure your tent for the rest of eternity. And isn't that frustrating, right? That's a frustrating process. Our tents are going to be destroyed, and we know it. And we can't do anything about it. And right there is why people are so anxious. The entire world is going mad because their tents are not withstanding everything the world can throw at them. And they're watching their tents get destroyed right before their very eyes. And 2020 looks like a massive threat to our tents, does it not? Looks like a massive threat. 2020 is going to take my tent down. Well, it might. But it doesn't matter if we understand what Jesus is saying. See, when Jesus promised to take care of our earthly needs, he did not mean that he would make our tents ideal. He did not mean that he would make them last forever. That's not what Jesus meant. And I think that's why a lot of people get frustrated at passages like this, going, man, if he loves me, then why is my tent spectacular? Why is it going to fall down? Why why isn't he making my tent completely ideal? Well, that's not what he meant. That's not what he meant. Jesus is saying that you will have everything you need to live temporarily upon this earth in order to accomplish my will. You will have everything you need to live temporarily in your tent and accomplish my will. He did not promise us riches and earthly comforts. That is not what Jesus is promising. And this is what he says. Seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's where your building is. That's where your permanent dwelling is. You have a mind, you have hands and feet and a heart and zeal and a breath in your lungs. Do not use it for your tent. Use it for your eternal permanent dwelling place. Give your primary chief attention to that building that you have for the rest of eternity. And right before this, if you actually take your eyes and go to Matthew 6, right before this passage, you know what he says? He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You're seeking the wrong kingdom. You're pursuing the wrong treasures. See, we need a proper perspective. I want you to imagine one more scenario. I want you to imagine you have two bank accounts. Okay, yes, I've used this analogy before, but I think it works well. I want you to imagine you have two bank accounts. Okay, two. One account has $97 in it. Now, some of us might be thankful for $97 these days, but your first bank account has $97 in it, and the bank that is taking care of your $97 is in the worst part of town, okay? where all kinds of theft takes place. Each and every day, someone is trying to steal your $97. Every day. And the bank is not very good at protecting it. And you know deep down someday, someone is going to steal your $97. You know it. Now, if that's all the money you have, that's pretty devastating news, is it not? 
that your $97 is eventually going to be taken from you if that's all the money you have. But let's imagine you have another bank account, a second bank account. And the second bank account is in the trillions of dollars, an absurd sum of money. And it's offshore. It's protected by the most secure building with the finest security system in the world. It has 24-7 protection by the best military in the world. In the scenario of two bank accounts, one is $97 and guaranteed to be stolen one day, and the other one is in the trillions of dollars, and it's guaranteed to never be taken away from you. So one day the phone rings, and the bank that was storing your $97 tells you that someone got in last night and took your money. They stole your $97, and you knew it was going to happen. Are you that upset? Are you that upset if you have another bank account in the trillions guarded securely offshore? Do you think you would cry about losing your $97 if you have trillions of money protected offshore that can never be stolen from you? Or even before the money was stolen, do you think you would worry every single day and every single night about your $97 when your second bank account is in the trillions and it's completely secure? And the obvious answer is no, you would not. And that's the point. This world and sadly so many professing Christians are all concerned about their $97 bank account. Not realizing that the God of the universe has an eternal bank account in their name, in heaven, guarded by God himself. If they will just hand over control of their $97 to the Lord and focus on investing their time and energy into doing his will, then they have the second bank account. In the trillions, guarded by God himself. And God has also promised to watch over their $97. That's basically what Jesus and what Paul are telling us today. Today you can leave here and you can try to secure your tent and try to secure your $97 and you're going to lose your mind. And you're going to realize one day that every single tent and every single life is going to be lost. And you're going to realize that every earthly bank account and every single treasure upon the earth is going to be taken from you someday. Because even the super rich die, right? Even the super rich lose their money. Even the super rich don't take their possessions with them. Somebody else gets that stuff. But those who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness have an eternal building. And this is promised by God, guys. This is not an ideal, wouldn't it be cool if kind of thing. God is saying, it is what it is. If you follow my son, you have this eternal building. And you have an eternal bank account. It's secured and guarded by God himself. If, and there's a condition here, if you will surrender control of your tent and you will surrender control of your $97 bank account to the Lord, and strive to do his will upon the earth. And if we do, Jesus is telling us today that even our tents and even our $97 cannot be taken from us apart from his sovereign and loving will for our lives. That even if we lose our $97, even if our tent is destroyed, it's because God allowed it to happen for our good. Wow. Do you guys see that? Anxiety cured. If you understand that, that is the key to overcoming anxiety. 
Jesus takes care of the birds who are insignificant, and he will love us so much more than that. He wants to cure our anxiety for good, but we have to get this perspective first. If we don't listen to Jesus and we leave here all worried about our earthly lives and our earthly treasure, then we're always, always going to be anxious people. We're always going to be worried. 2020 is going to make us crazy. 2021 might be worse than 2020, and we're going to lose our minds. And we'll be horrible testimonies for Jesus. See, when the world sees anxious Christians, anxious Christians, you know what that looks like? It looks like there is no God watching over us. When the world sees people who say, I follow Jesus Christ, but we're as anxious and worried and troubled as the world, maybe more, that is a horrible view of our Lord. But if we give our earthly, if we give our lives entirely to Jesus, and not only will he watch over our tents, not only will he give us protection of our $97 and make sure we have everything in this life, then we also have an eternal building and we have an eternal bank account waiting for us in heaven. But only if Jesus gets control of our lives now. And that's exactly what faith is. Faith in Jesus saves a person because we believe there's something better coming than this. And I will follow my Lord, and he will show me when and where that takes place, and I'm in. Guys, it's two days till the election day. Two days. And that's an anxious feeling. That's an anxious feeling. We're going to vote for someone who takes control of our government. But the reality of the situation is that Jesus already has the highest seat of the highest government. And he will never, ever need to be reelected or voted for again. Whichever candidate gets in the chair of the United States, he will be governed by the one who governs all things. And therefore, we don't even need to worry about that. Because regardless if that man submits to the Lord or not, not the Lord governs his decisions for our good and for our benefit. Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he has full authority over our lives. And he wants to know that he watches out for the birds and the lilies of the field. He came to die so that we would have eternal life. His love for us cannot be calculated. Can't be measured. I don't know love like that. I can't measure that kind of love. He came to die so that I would live forever. And here's our application very quickly. Number one, trust him. Trust him. Trust him. I don't just say I trust him. Actually, trust him. Don't worry. Prove to the Lord you believe He's alive. He's on his throne. Then that he loves you. Trust him. Number two, follow him. He knows the right way. If you follow Jesus Christ, you're going the right way, no matter what this world tells you. Obey him. Give him full control of your life. And you will have the cure for anxiety. You'll have it. You will have the peace and the hope that this world is desperately searching for right now. You will have it. If you have not yet handed control of your life to Jesus and gotten the peace that passes all understanding, do it today.
Do it before the chili. Do it during the chili. Don't leave before that happens. Give your life fully to Jesus Christ. If you need someone to talk to, Pastor Mel and I are here for that very reason. But I want you to understand this today. If you follow Jesus Christ, 2020 is not going to win. And neither will the devil. Jesus is on his throne. Let him guide you. Give him every part of you because it's all in Jesus. It's all in Jesus. Can we pray? Father, I hope this was a help to these souls as it was to mine. I can only hope that we would listen to what you've taught us today. Because now the choice is ours. We've heard what you've said. And now we can leave here the same people we were when we came. Or we can go, I'm going to be different. And I'm going to change. I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change the way I act because of what I've learned here today. That he loves me. And he's taking care of my life on this side and the next. And I have nothing to worry about. That if he came and died for me, then he loves me to such lengths and such limits that nothing can touch me unless it's part of his good and sovereign will for my life. Help us to be great testimonies for Jesus upon the earth. And whatever takes place in these next two days to the next several weeks, let this world see that there is a God, that he is awesome and loving and wonderful, and he is on his throne. Because that is what a testimony of Jesus looks like. I thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, Father. Change us inwardly and outwardly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.